You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 5 is where we're going to start. So if you found it, go ahead and stand. And don't forget that the first uh, six verses are to the rich. And James was telling those that, that love money, don't hoard wastefully, don't seek to gain wrongfully, and don't live selfishly. Because we have a tendency to, to go after money and it affects the way we live. And, uh, and money is not wrong, but the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. And, uh, and so that's what we've been talking about in James 5, but then tonight... We're going to see the other, the other side of that. There are those that were the rich, those that were going after money. Then there were those that, that were, they were oppressing. And that's who James is talking to now um, because there were those being oppressed by those with more resources. And look what verse 7 says. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We won't get to this verse, but it's part of the thought. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Tonight, the message that I'd like to give to you out of this text is this, waiting well. How to wait well. Because life, isn't it often about waiting? You're just kind of waiting for something to happen. And if you're going to spend that much of your life waiting, you might as well wait well. Uh, May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just as uh, last week, the last few days, um, I was able to, uh, Jace and I, uh, I took Jace with me, but I was able to drive the ladies to ladies retreat over in the Black Hills. And that's always an experience, okay? And I'm not going to get into all the details of why that's an experience. Um, Let's just say ladies have lots of energy, more than they let on, like the proper show they put on in here. Yeah, when when the gloves come off, like watch out, it's pretty funny. And speaking of gloves coming off, we were at Al's Oasis. Has anybody been to Al's Oasis on I-90? It's a must-stop. Um, you know, that and Wall Drug are the you know, two, two must-stops, I think. And the Corn Palace, you know, South Dakota's finest there in Mitchell. Um, you know, we were at Al's Oasis, and, and our ladies were checking out. They were going up to the counter, and there was a lady and her husband... And they were kind of standing back, just 
uh, looking like they were just kind of waiting for something. So all of our ladies were coming in and getting in line to pay for their food. And this woman very passively, passive-aggressively says, well, I guess we'll just wait since they're all walking in front of us. <laughs> so my wife turned around and said, pile driver. No, no, just kidding. No, not really. My wife turned around and she said, I'm sorry, why don't you come up to the front and, and get in line? And, you know, we, we, we didn't realize you were waiting there or something like that. And, and uh, I was very proud of her for diffusing the situation. Um, but it turns out that this, this lady and her husband were frustrated because most, they've spent most of their time at Al's Oasis waiting on the, ironically named, waiting on the waiter um, to bring their check and they hadn't got their food fast or something. They just weren't happy with the service. So they'd already been waiting and then the line got long and they had to wait even more. And it was just a reminder this week about how none of us likes to wait. We don't like to wait. We don't like to have to give up time just kind of sitting around and, and, and doesn't it seem though, like I've already said, a lot of our lives um, are spent waiting I read recently that a person will spend an average of six months of their lives waiting in lines, just any kind of lines. Um, if you've ever been to the DMV, you know that's probably true. Um, I, I also read that the average person will spend four months of their lives waiting at a red light. And doesn't it feel like it's four months at a time sometimes? I, I read that the average person uh, can spend 20 months of their lives waiting for their spouses or for their children. And that's a dangerous one. I'm not going to talk too much about that one. But if you go to church and you have a spouse that's a talker, that number is probably much higher for you. How many of you in your relationship, you're the like, let's get in the car and leave person, okay? How many of you are the talker, okay? And you're, okay, there's, no, there's more talkers than that. Come on. I know. Yeah, thank you, Diana. She finally fessed up. You know, we wait, we wait uh, uh, 17 months of our life for food to cook. We, we can wait up to five months for technology to load. Four months on hold on the phone. Four months watching commercials. A good part of our life is spent waiting. You wait at the doctor for your name to be called. You wait um, for, at the, for the guy at the DMV to call your number. You wait in line at the grocery store, even self-checkout. There's a line and everyone, and you don't want to like miss the green light or someone's going to go around you and get to the checkout before you. Uh, you, wait, you wait for your car to fill up. And doesn't it seem like it's in the wintertime, it takes way longer for your car to fill up when you want it to be quick? You wait for somebody to return a call. You're waiting for the weekend. Um, you're waiting for church to end. That's relatable, right? But it's not just physical. You know, sometimes waiting is spiritual. You wait on God to answer a prayer. You're waiting on someone to get right with the Lord. Um, you're, you're waiting for God to bring the one. If you're a single college age, you're waiting for the one to be brought into your life. Uh, you're waiting on God's will for your next step of your life. You're waiting for the Lord to speak to you and maybe get you out of the dry spiritual season that you're in. Waiting is hard and any situation. Now, now imagine then what we're reading about in James that 
that his, what his readers were dealing with. They were, if you're reading this in context of what the first few verses are about, if the connection is there, then they're being treated unfairly. They're being treated wrongfully. Wrongfully, they're being taken advantage of. They're being maybe abused. They're being exploited. They didn't have the money or the resources or the influence to do anything about it. In, in this context, the rich were having their way and God's people were being treated unfairly. They were suffering unjustly. And there are a few different, and, and be honest about this. I mean, it's one thing to wait. It's another to wait when you're being treated unfairly. I mean, it's really hard to be patient. When you feel like there's an injustice being done and somebody's doing things that are, are not right, I mean, waiting is hard already, but that's multiplied hardness. So what do we do when, when uh, it's hard and you're waiting? Well, I, I think that James gives us three ways to wait well. And it's not just three ways to wait because you're going to wait either way, but, so you might as well wait well, Right? So how do you ensure that you can wait well? And, and if you want to, I, I just find these to be very helpful. If you take notes, I'm going to try to give it to you in a way that is real practical. And, and a lot of these ideas, I mean, I just get from other people as I read, but I love the way that they said it. Number one, wait with expectation. Wait with expectation. In verses 7 and 8, James says, be patient. See, patient, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain what I mean by wait with expectation Patient means not to lose heart. It means to persevere. It means to stick it out. And this theme has come up over and over in James. I mean, from the second verse of the book, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I mean, the book of James, he talks about persecutions. He talks about temptations to sin. He talks about favoritism in church. He talks about unfair treatment. He talks about evil speaking of others. And now he's talking about persecution. And basically, life was hard. He says, though, be patient, therefore. And so when he says, be patient, therefore, then you know you can connect what he says. The therefore, you have to see what the there is there, the therefore is therefore. And it's connecting what he said before to what he says now. He says, be patient, therefore, because, yes, the worldly, unbelieving, ungodly, they're having their day right now. They're, they're, they're having their, their heyday. They're at the top of their game, and they're enjoying life, and life is good for them. And they're hoarding wastefully. They're gaining wrongfully. They're living selfishly, and it's like there's no consequences for them. Have you ever been around people like that? It's like they live however they want to. They seem to do whatever they want to and nothing bad ever happens to them. And yet you're trying to follow God. You're just trying to obey and it seems like you can't get ahead to save your life. But James says, here's the message he he gives here. Wait because your day is coming. Wait because your day is coming. And I don't want you to miss this message because it's late. Uh, so really lock in and we'll get through this. If you listen fast, I'll, I'll talk fast, okay? When James return, uh, where, sorry, when Jesus returns, James says he's going to make things right. And to be patient, therefore, he says, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. See, Jesus is going to come back and he'll settle every account and he'll judge the wicked and he's going to reward the just. And, and we might get used to that. You know, I, here I am talking about the return of the Lord and your response is, and I'm not saying that about you. I'm saying that about all of us. 
We've heard about the return of the Lord our whole lives. So when somebody talks about the return of the Lord, we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, we've heard that before. But no, it should get you excited about it. We should be, we should be thrilled that Jesus might return any moment. And by the way, he could. It's an imminent return. We're not looking for a sign. We are looking for a savior. And he could return at any moment. He might come back tonight. And, and he might, I mean, you might, some of you thought he'd come back while I was preaching in Genesis. But he didn't. I mean, he's a long-suffering God, apparently. You know, when he comes back, he's going to make it worth it. That's what James is saying. So James says, wait with expectation. You should just wait expecting it's going to get better. That's what he says. It's like a farmer. He, he uses the husbandman. He says, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath a long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. You know what I expect? There aren't a whole lot of impatient farmers. Because you can't really rush that process, can you? You're really uh, just kind of waiting on something else to happen so that you, know, you can then do what you're supposed to do. And it's, it, I really appreciate farmers, but just think about how much patience it takes to be one. I mean, they're digging, they're planting, they're killing weeds, they're irrigating for months. I mean, most of the life of a farmer, they're waiting on what's supposed to happen. They're just waiting for it to happen. They're waiting for uh, rain, they're waiting for good temperatures, they're waiting, especially this winter, they're waiting for the snow to melt. They're waiting for the sun to come out. And all the farmer has is the hope that eventually all of the waiting is going to pay off. That's the, that's the, the illustration James gives. And, and he uses the example of rain. He says he waits and has long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. He's just talking about the fall and the spring rain. And, and he says a, a farmer just plods. A farmer just keeps doing what he's supposed to do because he trusts that the crop is eventually going to grow, that rain is going to fall, because a dr every drought has to end sometime. And that's what he gets to in verse 8. He gives us the word patient again. Be also patient again. It means that someone is so sure, and, and, and it, don't miss it, that someone is so sure of the future that they stand fast today. That you're so sure of the future that you stand fast today. The farmer just keeps plotting. And folks, that's our calling. See, we live in a world where the wicked reign. And it's hard to wait. I mean, and, and sometimes don't you just feel like taking matters into your own hands. And, you know, and I want to go run for office. Or, I mean, I want to go protest something just to let people know. I'm not happy, and sometimes we just want to take matters into our own hands. It's hard to wait when you feel like things aren't going your way, but James tells us that the way to wait well is to remember this. Jesus Christ will eventually make it all right. He's going to correct it all. It's going to get better. It will be worth it all, and our reward in the future is better than what the wicked get to enjoy today. So wait with expectation, he says. But he also says this in verse 9, wait with grace. Wait with, here's how to wait well. Wait with grace. Look at verse 9. He says, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. You know, this is one that the woman at Al's Oasis could have used. 
she was frustrated because waiting put her on edge. And I don't know that she was necessarily just mad at our ladies as she was just mad because waiting makes you mad. The kids drive you the craziest when you're stuck in traffic. That song annoys you the most when you're at a red light. And that's what James is saying. I mean, he's saying waiting, though, isn't licensed to treat those around you like garbage. I mean, think about that. Uh, see, listen to that again. Don't get distracted here. Waiting isn't licensed to treat those around you like garbage. Yes, you know, you might be frustrated that you're having to wait. But James says, here's a temptation. A temptation is to tar- start treating each other poorly when, because you're having to wait. But that's no license to treat others poorly. Here's a good way to say this point. When you're tired, watch your mouth. And when you're afraid, watch your mouth. And when you're mad, guess what I'm about to say? Watch your mouth. And when you're hangry, it's a good Bible word, I think. Watch your mouth. Why? Because the first thing that seems to go when we're stretched in our ability to wait is our ability to control our speech. When life doesn't go your way and you're being treated unfairly and you think somebody else is getting attention that you deserve or, or you don't like how they're speaking to you or maybe you think they've lied about you, the temptation is to lash out. But James says the right response is to watch what you say. Grudge is the word. He says grudge not. You know what grudge means? It actually means this. It means... Uh, if you have teenagers, you know, you've heard that. Ugh. Or, you know, a sigh can say a lot, can't it? That's what grudge means. It means a sigh. That's a natural human response to waiting when life is hard. You know, you hear, your call will be answered in the order in which it was received. Uh, your approximate hold is 95 minutes. Ugh. You know, it means, it means without saying it, it means to grumble. It means to complain, and, and, you know, or be critical. Did you see the way she dressed this morning? Or they don't understand because they have it easy. Or she's so annoying on Facebook, always bragging about her family. You know, what is it about life being hard for us that we take it out on other people? See, James says grudge not. He says stop, don't. Because few things will destroy a relationship quicker than grumblers. You know, it's hard to be married to somebody who's never happy. You need to remember that. If you're a spouse, you need to remember that. It's hard to be around. If you think it's hard to be around somebody that's always critical, consider that your spouse is always around you. How's your spirit around your spouse? It's hard to serve at church with somebody who complains about everything. And it's not easy to work next to someone with a critical attitude about everything. There are, listen, there are always reasons to complain. There, there are things to be critical about in every situation. I mean, right here at Eastside, at your workplace, in your home, you don't have to look hard. But notice what James says in verse 9. He says, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned... Behold, the judge standeth before the door. You know what he's saying there is our treatment of others will determine God's treatment of us. You want to be critical, he says? Guess what? 
the Lord can find plenty to be critical about your life. That's the thing that, about people with a critical spirit. Like we talked about a few weeks ago with the beam and the moat. It's, it's a, a beam in the eye is far worse than whatever the grumbler is complaining about in the other person's life. That critical spirit is more grieving to the Lord than whatever you've singled out as something to complain about. So grumblers are going to answer to the Lord and there won't be any excuses. So here's the question. Can I have a gentle spirit when I'm waiting and it's hard? Isn't it true that when we're waiting and it's hard, we just are kind of mad at everybody? We kind of take it out on everybody. But the question is, am I going to be able to hold my tongue when I'm frustrated about my circumstances? Because dads, your kids deserve better than that. Moms, your, your children don't deserve to have the ire of you because you're waiting and it's hard. That doesn't mean that you can t- talk to them however you'd like to. Um, husbands, with your wife, be careful. Just because things are hard at work and difficult and you're waiting on something to happen, it doesn't mean that you can go home and take those frustrations out on your wife who has nothing to do with that situation. Wives, and to your husbands, it's the same thing. And with each other, don't take each other for granted. Even here at church, yes, life may prove to be difficult right now, but the people that are here are on your side. They're for you. So don't come and, and take those things out on the people that have nothing to do with it. It resists that. That's what James says. Wait with grace. That'll help you stand out. If you want to wait well, wait with grace. And then third, and this is the one I was really excited about. Honestly, this one point is the one that, that, I, that I wanted to bring to you tonight. Wait with, wait with long-suffering. Wait with long-suffering. That's what patience means. Look at verses 10 and 11. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And there's so much here to to unpack. I wish I had more time to talk about it. But this is what patience means. We, you know, we like no suffering. And we like short suffering. We certainly don't like long, long suffering. But, but life is typically about long suffering, isn't it? Suffering is no fun. And sometimes the ride seems like it's never going to end. I, I, in college, I went to an amusement park with my friends and and it, Six Flags Magic Mountain in Southern California, and there's this ride, and it looks like a giant coffee can in the ground, okay? Except like 30 people can fit in it. And so they put you down, and you stand against the wall, and then the thing just starts spinning faster than you can imagine. And you stick to the wall, and the floor drops, and you're just spinning around and around and around. Well, we had a friend named Sonny in that ride with us, and Sonny didn't like spinny rides, well, what are you doing in the ride, Sonny? So it was a slow day at the, at the park. And so as we started to slow down, we could see that Sonny was getting sick. And all of the friends, we were like, one more time, one more time. We were very compassionate friends. And there's nobody waiting in line. So it comes to a stop and Sonny's like, get me off. And then suddenly it starts spinning again. Sonny's turning green. And the rest of us are like getting as far away from him as we can. 
So it starts to slow down again. It's like a minute and a half ride. Starts to slow down again. And all the, not me this time, the dummies I was with. One more time. One, so guess what? Spun it right back up one more time. We got off the ride and Sonny lost everything he had gained that day. And then he laid down on a bench. And for five or six hours, we walked around and rode, uh, rode uh, rides. And we came back later that evening. He was on the same bench in the same position. He didn't move the rest of the day till we got him up and took him off the park. You know, but sometimes isn't that how life feels? Is that you think, okay, this isn't going to be a long ride. This is going to be a short suffering. And it turns into a long suffering. And you think, you know, this is going to be a short, four years ago, Rosalind, this is going to be a short thing. But four years later, I mean, she's still got the burden, you know. The jets are still around, you know. (laughs) Four years, I mean, it took a while, didn't it? And what you thought was going to be one spin around the ride turned into four years. And it's not, you never dreamed it would be that long. And sometimes, you know, you're on the ride and you don't, you're not really looking to come out. uh, You're just looking to survive, You don't really care if you get off the ride and if you lose your lunch, that's fine as long as I'm alive. I'm not even sure I'm going to survive this. Have you ever been through something that feels like that? I'm not sure uh, that I'm going to even make it, that this this it's taken me for a ride. And sometimes the line between survival and victory gets a little blurred. Survival might be the victory. And James uses the example, and I love this. He uses the example of prophets and the example of Job. And historically, being a prophet for God was not a real popular occupation. They endured a lot of suffering. There were many martyrs that were prophets. But the true prophets, he says, just endure. They just keep on speaking truth. And then James uses this example of Job. And and I want to look at this verse. The prophets endured, Job endured How do we endure? Well, look at what the prophets and Job had in common. And this is the truth I want you to get. So uh, we've had a lot of movement. If we could just limit the movement right now so that we can get this truth, okay? And I know we can, just because I don't want you to miss this, okay? Verse 11, it says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. James says, so pitiful means full of compassion. Pitiful, the pity, that word is the word for compassion. For the word like when it says that the bowels of compassion, he was moved with compassion. That's the word and then it's full. So it's an abundance of compassion. That's what God feels towards you. He has an abundance of compassion towards you. And he's merciful. And and there's no limit to his mercy. His mercy endureth forever. Like we read this morning. So I want you to understand. What James is saying is that the prophets that were speaking for, for God. And they just endured. And Job who dealt with life situations none of us have ever faced. But he endured. Here's the reason that they endured. Because they knew what the Lord is like. They knew that he was full of compassion. And they knew that he was full of mercy. 
And listen, it was the, their knowledge of their God that allowed them to stay the course when it got hard. It was their knowledge of their God that allowed them to wait when it got hard. And listen, here's the thing. If you know the kind of God that you serve, that's what helps you wait. Because you know him. And you know he loves you. And you know that he went to great lengths on a cross for you. And if he went to those kinds of lengths on a cross, if he would do that, here's the thing. Then we can have full confidence that this is true. He will never waste your weight. If he went to the cross and died for you, you can have full confidence that he will never waste your weight. Here's the point James wants to get to. You can wait well if you know the God you're waiting on. You can expect he'll make things right someday because that's what he does. And you don't have to grumble and complain to everybody around you because you know him and he's in control. And you can endure because you know he's merciful and he's full of compassion. Here's what you say when you want to wait well. And I want you to get this one. Okay, I want you to get this phrase. I don't know how, and I don't know when, but one thing is sure. I know him. You know, I don't know who holds tomorrow. Many things about it I don't know, but I know him. And I don't know how, and I don't know when, but one thing is sure. I know him and when you know God you know he never wastes a wait are you waiting on God right now here's what we tend to do we fret we fret because we can't see how the Lord is going to work it out and we panic because we're running out of time and we act because we'd rather take matters into our own hands that's what we tend to do but here's what we ought to do we ought to remember that God makes all things right in his time. And we ought to rest because grumbling won't change your circumstances. And we ought to trust because the God you know always has your best in mind. No matter how hard, no matter how desperate, no matter how long, no matter how dangerous, if God is who he says he is, that's all you need to wait well. That's the point. You know, David wrote um, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 62, verse 5, he wrote this. He said, my soul, it's almost like he's talking to himself. But he says, my soul, wait thou only on God, for my expectation is from him. And here's the idea, and David said it and James says it, is that waiting is okay if you're waiting on God. Because he never wastes a wait. And he always has a plan. You know, some believe that David wrote Psalm 62 um, in the aftermath of Absalom, his son's rebellion. And we can't be sure, but some years back, as I was reading that and waiting on something in my own life, it inspired me to write a song about it. And, and these lyrics are what I wrote. It, it's, I just call it, I Will Wait. And it's about King David, and, and after this trial with Absalom, it says he looked upon the remnants 
of his life. All he loved in ashes right before his eyes. Though well aware of everything he'd lost, the hope that King David held to was the faithfulness of God. And when all else seemed to crumble down, one sure thing remained. The Father's arms were holding him, which gave him faith to say, I will wait upon the Lord. Give him all the time he needs to teach me lessons through this storm. And I will trust the one who holds my fate. He wants what's best for me. I know he loves me. So I will wait. The second verse says, you're drifting on the sea of endless doubt. Where once you had sure answers, questions now abound. And though well aware of everything you've lost, don't forget what never changes. The faithfulness of God. And when all else seems to crumble down, one sure thing remains. The Father's arms are holding you, which gives you faith to say, I will wait upon the Lord. Give him all the time he needs to teach me lessons through this storm. I will trust the one who holds my fate. He wants what's best for me. I know he loves me, so I will wait. When the flames of the refining fire seem much too hard to, hot to stand, just remember God is holding you with a strong and loving hand, and he has a plan. So just wait upon the Lord. Give him all the time he needs to teach you lessons through this storm. You can trust the one who holds your fate. He wants what's best for you. You know he loves you. Now just wait. You know, the best way to wait well is to remember that God never wastes a wait. And you can boldly say, if you will, like James, if you'll remember these truths, you can boldly say this, I don't know how and I don't know when, but one thing is sure, I know him. And he never wastes a wait. So what are you waiting on tonight? What, are you, what have you been giving yourself over to fretting about or being anxious about? waiting for something to happen and you've kind of taken it back upon yourself and yet you, hold, you have a God in heaven who will make all things right one day and he has your best interests in mind and he never wastes a wait. And you may not know how and you may not know when, but one thing is sure is you know him and he never wastes a wait. So just wait on the Lord. Let him do what only he can do. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to have a verse of invitation and have the piano play in just a moment. If the Lord's speaking to you about something that you've been waiting on and maybe you're trying to get ahead of God and you're trying to, or maybe you've been maybe doubting God, what you need in the moments of the wait are to simply know the God you're waiting on. And the more you know the God that you're waiting on, the more confidence you'll have that he won't waste the wait. He has a plan. You simply need to trust and follow. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.